HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Garden Cult, garden design and coaching. For a 15% discount on virtual garden consultations and coaching sessions, use code HRN15. Learn more at gardencult.com. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for Italian ingredients and pantry staples. Learn more at gustiamo.com. You are listening to Fields, the podcast, with Melissa Metric and Wythe Marshall. On Fields, we bring you stories about the future, present, and past of urban agriculture, and in general, explore really interesting concepts and meet lots of fascinating people who get up every day and grow food in and around cities, starting with the city we live in, New York City. Throughout March and April, we reached out to every major mayoral candidate. A few of them got back to us. So far, Catherine Garcia is the only candidate who sat for an interview. To be clear, Fields is not officially endorsing any candidate, simply trying to learn more about their platforms and plans regarding urban agriculture. Welcome to Fields, uh, the untold, unfinished stories of urban agriculture. And you are the first of our policymakers to join us. We're really excited about the next uh, mayoral administration here in New York City. And we're very excited to learn more about what uh, different candidates think about urban agriculture specifically. And we really wanted to talk to you. You have so much deep experience. Um, and in this case, I'm talking about uh, Catherine Garcia. So could you please introduce yourself? Tell us um, a little bit about um, you know, why you want to be mayor, I guess, and then we'll move on to, to farming. Absolutely. So you know, I'm Catherine Garcia. I'm running for New York City mayor. And I'm running because this is going to be a really critical moment in the city. And I have deep experience in making sure that we deliver for residents. Uh, I have been the chief operating officer for DEP, which meant I made sure there was clean water in your tap so you could brush your teeth. And I kept the harbor clean. Uh, I was at sanitation and picked up garbage and plowed snow and put in place many of our programs that were very forward thinking on the environment. Uh, And then during COVID, perhaps most relevant for this conversation, I was asked to, uh, literally, they called and said, uh, can you just make sure nobody goes hungry? And set up a food program, literally over a weekend, that delivered 130 million meals in six months. Uh, But one of the reasons I am running is that I just deeply love this city. And I see so much opportunity uh, that we haven't leveraged yet. 
whether or not that is urban agriculture or even thinking about how we are going to ensure that our young people are connected to this new green economy in a really thoughtful way. Uh, And it's really that vision of a New York that is greener and more livable that I want to bring to City Hall. Catherine, maybe could you tell us, uh, you know, briefly about the green infrastructure um, announcement that that you just made, I guess, uh, which I just read the press release and it sounds very ambitious um, and relevant to this conversation and maybe can frame some of our questions um, since this is getting to the heart of probably uh, some of the answers I imagine you give. Um, So what is your green infrastructure plan and how does farming kind of fit in? Green infrastructure, it really has to be where we are going in the future in this city we got to stop trying to clean up the mess with at the end of the pipe. We need to make sure that we are letting nature do her job. Uh, so I have put forward a plan to create 150 million square feet of green space. And I literally envision this being on school rooftops, on NYCHA rooftops, on playgrounds, uh, as well as in the curb space and at Renewable Rikers. I think there are so many opportunities uh, to make it so that this is a more livable space where the air is cleaner that you breathe, where we are bringing back wildlife and giving birds and insects opportunities uh, to thrive here, and also to really serve as an educational laboratory uh, for New York City's residents and for their kids. I have spent some time with uh, the Green City Force at NYCHA with their farms. Completely amazing intersection of youth leadership as well as sustainability and providing fresh, healthy foods in places that are often food deserts where it's really hard to get access. Uh, So I am very excited about what we can, so I was going to make, what we can bring to the table (laughs) in this time uh, around really rethinking how we are using space in this city to make it a greener, more livable city to be in. Uh, awesome. Um, that that sounds very ambitious and it sounds like um, farming might be involved. Can I just ask as a follow-up, is there any specific plan within this green infrastructure um, you know, sweeping idea for, uh, for growing specifically, um, for example, on Rikers or on nitro properties, is that sort of uh, a major commitment of the plan or is it more just generally to make sure there's, there's green spaces, um, meaning, uh, you know, sedum or trees. Um, is that something that you've, you, you have details about or, or is it not worked out yet? No. So I really envision that a big part of this is about having dedicated farms. And this is really particular, particularly at NYCHA, Uh, I have seen that be very successful Uh, in terms of rooftops being more focused on uh, sedum and other plants that help green those environments, but are a little lighter weight for some of our rooftops and can be put in and installed more quickly. Got it. Thank you. Um, Well, I think that falls into the first question I know we wanted to ask, uh, which builds on, on something I've been researching for a while, which is. Um, what is your position on the idea of an urban and peri-urban comprehensive plan for, regarding uh, urban agriculture for the city of New York? You know, the idea of some sort of bill that might create an office um, or try to incentivize uh, from the administration's point of view, from the city's point of view, uh, urban agriculture of different kinds. And that's, you know, pretty wide question in that um, there are different kinds of urban agriculture and there's different 
part pieces of plans that have been proposed. But is that uh, is that a topic that has come up for you? Is that something you're interested in? Um, do you do you have thoughts on that? Right. And so one of the things that I am very cautious of is under this administration, there's been a proliferation of offices for everything, uh, but that has not made them more effective because when you are keeping them in the same organizational structure, they have support. So when I put together the food team, it was very interdisciplinary. You know, we had experts from different parts of the administration but some of them are going to need to be folks who can help you with IT and folks who can help you with procurement. So ensuring that there is someone who is a point person is critical, but having them have the uh, support of an overall agency is also critical. So in the aspect of like helping out farms and NYCHA and things like that and having more green infrastructure on roofs, um, how are you planning to kind of do that? Or like, how would you support the NYCHA Farms more or Green City Force or this? I know that there's like the tax incentive uh, to have either like a green infrastructure on new buildings or solar power or um, like tax rebates on that. Um, but how would like just for that example of um, the NYCHA Farms, how would your administration kind of help that a little bit more or would it be through grants or funding or if you could delve into that a little bit more, that'd be great. Green City Force is is clearly, it's a public-private partnership, uh, but it needs more public dollars to expand uh, because it is an intensive program. Uh, and I know that that is a real opportunity. There are over 300 developments in NYCHA. Uh, these are. This is a huge opportunity. They're also one of the few places in the city that actually has open space uh, that it could be made available for farming. Um, but for city buildings and for city um, infrastructure, not only should we be using our capital budget because a green roof means that you are going to, over time, pay for it with your energy savings. It usually cuts your energy savings by 25%. Uh, and the second piece is, you know, we are looking at a huge infrastructure bill coming out of Washington. These are the types of projects we want to have at the ready. Uh, and it also has to be in the toolbox for those who need to come into compliance with Local Law 97, because this has a direct impact on our communities and on making sure that we are also doing the right thing. This is where doing the right thing financially is also doing the right thing for the environment and doing the right thing for ensuring that there is healthy food in communities. One of the other questions that we had is, um, do you um, support the creation of an office of urban agriculture for the city? Do you support the creation of an urban agriculture accelerator in New York City? Oh, yes. I mean, we need to make sure that we are increasing funding to support food programs across the board in New York City. This is one of the things that I learned when I was tasked with being in charge of food during the COVID emergency. Uh, there are tremendous numbers of opportunities right now, but they are so siloed uh, that ensuring that we are supporting across the board, um, you know, both government programs, but also public-private partnerships, uh, particularly in those underserved areas, and where there are community gardens that can directly impact communities with food insecurity, such as in the Bronx. 
mean, 50% of the demand for food came out of the Bronx. Yeah, so definitely that um, there's definitely huge amounts of food insecurity. And um, it is very possible that um, a lot of these um, urban farms and also we've seen a lot of things pop up during COVID and the pandemic um, of mutual aid um, uh, groups, as well as um, these mobile fridges and things within communities. So it's not only just food coming from the urban farms, but also that there's actual storage area for fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, and um, have you been working with these um, mutual aid groups at all, or have you been in conversation with them as well um, in kind of servicing these um, certain donations or because, um, because not necessarily all of it is coming from uh, urban farms because um, sometimes the quantity can be, a little bit limiting of how much one can produce, especially in a community garden. Um, but yeah, we were also just wondering if, if you were in contact in the, in the sense of um, food access, um, if you've also been working with like these mutual aid groups and things like that. So my, my focus had been on many of the food pantries and um, soup kitchens that sort of became pantries uh, and working with them during COVID-19 either providing direct funding or providing direct food. Um, and, you know, obviously with the big five, Met Council, Food Bank, United Way, Catholic Charities, um, and City Harvest, uh, to make it so that they were robust and able to meet the needs. And then obviously they send to the other food pantries across the city uh, one of the things we did as I stepped down was put in place something where they could actually do a direct order sort of off the city's dime uh, and get food brought in, what they needed, when they needed, because uh, they also can often have real storage challenges, particularly on refrigeration. That That's great, um, kind of getting involved in that sense, um, and especially with these food pantries and things like that. Um, another thing that kind of came to mind when you brought up the idea of city harvest is um, how much food can be wasted and these certain organizations that are taking the food that could possibly be wasted and they are then distributing it through, you know, communities that are in need. Um, we were also wondering about um, on the sense of food waste um, with um, composting and um you know, what your thoughts were about the composting program, about the um, brown bin systems um, moving forward, you know, because I know that um, New York City, I think, has a zero waste program by 2050. Um, and just, you know, how you how um, that will would kind of be tackled, how to bring back composting, the brown bin system, what communities would get that and just in general, your thoughts on that. Oh no, on day one, Benny is coming back. Benny the Brown Ben needs to return. Actually, technically his name is Scrappy. Uh, but one of my proudest accomplishments was launching the country's largest food waste recycling program. We know we have to do it if we are really serious about the environment. Uh, and it would be citywide. This is one of my plans for Rikers Island is that we would be able to compost or digest the food on the island. Uh, and so I am very excited about bringing back composting because you never want to see food go to waste. But if it is going to waste, we want to ensure that 
it is becoming something valuable again. Uh, but one of the other things that I've seen many of the food pantries put in place is an app called Plentiful, which one, allows you to schedule an appointment and two, can almost act like Instacart. So rather than the food pantry picking out what they think you might eat, that you get to pick out what you're going to eat. Uh, and so you're not just taking it home and then you're like, oh, I don't eat this. I don't eat that. We eliminate it. So choice sometimes helps us be more efficient. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a great idea. And, and especially, yeah, with communities in need, it's just because, you know, certain foods are available. It doesn't mean that's that's a part of one's culture or if people are actually going to want to eat that food. That idea of choice is like such a great idea of that food actually being used and not being wasted. So like the sense of like somebody taking that food, but then they don't really eat that food. So then that food would get wasted again. Right. So I feel like that's, that's definitely a great idea. The sense of, um, yeah, using these certain apps. Um, is there a way to, um, I guess the moving forward with that, like educating communities about these certain apps or how to work with these certain companies, um, that are, you know, creating these apps and how to make it kind of accessible. Absolutely. And, and, and the, the food pantries that have adopted them, one of the things about it is it allows language translation. So if you are in a community that has many different ethnic groups, uh, it allows you to serve that whole community because maybe not every volunteer speaks every language, but the app actually does the, the conversation for you. And it, it is available to any of the food pantries and they've been adopting it and then sort of pushing it out to the people that they serve. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really amazing and great. Yeah, because um, definitely translation can be a huge kind of um, hindrance on that. This episode is brought to you by Garden Cult, garden design and coaching. Carmen DeVito is a professional garden designer, certified New York State landscape professional, and the founder of Garden Cult. You may also know her from HRN's home gardening videos and our series, We Dig Plants. Garden Cult is a culmination of Carmen's more than two decades of experience designing and building gardens in New York City. Carmen believes that gardens and outdoor spaces should be healthy, environmentally sustainable places that enhance the health of people, nature, and the planet. She knows how to help you maximize the space you've got, help you work with and make the most of the materials, plants, and trees that you already have, and create an outdoor place to use and enjoy for you and your family. Get started at GardenCult.com. For a 15% discount on virtual garden consultations and coaching sessions, use code HRN15 through September 30th, 2021. That's code HRN15 at GardenCult.com. This episode is brought to you by Gustiamo, the online store for ingredients and pantry staples from Italy. Gustiamo's mission is to improve the quality of Italian food in the States. They independently import the best and most authentic food from Italian farmers and food makers, wonderful people dedicated to their land and their traditions. When you're searching for quality Italian pasta, San Marzano tomatoes, and real extra virgin olive oil, Gustiamo has them all. Shop their vinegars, coffees, sweets, and so much more. From Northern Hilltop Hazelnut Farmers in Piemonte to Southern Sea Salt Millers off the coast of Sicily, 
Gustiamo works exclusively with small family food companies in Italy. When you shop with Gustiamo, you'll know that your ingredients are authentically Italian and of the highest quality. For our listeners, Gustiamo is offering a 10% discount on your online order with Gusti code HRN. Learn more at Gustiamo.com. That's G-U-S-T-I-A-M-O dot com. So going back to like the composting program, how how soon do you think that would just be able to come back? Because I know that um, there has been certain issues with, um, you know, with the parks department and where these certain composting sites could happen, especially with like Red Hook or with Big Reuse. Um, and, and in the sense of, um, having everything happen at Rikers, if there's going to be again, this like distribution of compost sites. I have been clear about this for a very long time on the record in the administration, outside the administration, the parks department is wrong about pushing off Lower East Side Ecology Center, big reuse and Red Hook Farms and taking such a narrow view. These are great both environmental locations, but also uh, they are real community benefits. They draw volunteers. Uh, they draw people in to educate kids. You know, I've been at, you know, Pumpkin Smash, which I have to say children really, really do enjoy. Uh, and are they getting their hands dirty, seeing how their jack-o'-lantern is going to turn into something that's literally growing uh, food in another location on the site. Uh, this is, it's gotta be in every borough um, and that there is real access uh, for New York City residents to see how this works because they are amazed uh, by the process. And I am really excited about not only having a larger scale location, but also being able to have smaller scale locations across the city. Uh, and it just, it's so smart to take this food waste and usually mix it with leaves, becomes compost, then you're taking it back to a park and making it so that it is useful to grow. Uh, on a very, very funny note, which you as urban gardeners will appreciate, we had a compost giveaway on Staten Island at Fresh Kills on a Saturday morning, starting at 9 a.m. I got a phone call at 8.30 in the morning from a council member saying, did someone die at Fresh Kills? There's traffic backed up all the way to the Veranzano Bridge. And I was like, no, we're planning to give out compost. And he said, so you're giving out dirt and you have backed up all of the highways. And I was like, uh-huh, apparently we have backed up all of the highways <laughs> because we are giving out dirt. Um, it was... It was unintended. We now use an Evite system so that we don't have everyone come at once and we don't cause traffic problems when people are coming to get their compost. But people want it. Uh, it is incredibly desirable. Um, but also just your aspect on um, supporting community gardens, especially when it comes to, um, you know, land access and um, permits for the community gardens. Um, I know that there's been a lot of issues with um, when it comes to development of those spaces, as well as for um, 
certain affordable housing and that type of thing. So um, just your kind of perspective on like supporting community gardens or where you kind of stand, stand in that sense of like land access and, and that um, aspect in general. I think that community gardens are incredibly important. I mean, we need to make sure that we are providing New Yorkers in need with access to healthy and nutritious food. And obviously that means expanding sort of programs for SNAP benefits to be accepted at like community restaurants and food banks and farmers markets. But what we learned in this pandemic is that parks and community gardens are actual infrastructure and they are infrastructure that supports our access to food, but also supported our access to, uh, you know, they were our offices and our yoga studios and um, the places where we socialize. We need to make it so that they are integrated and thought of as permanent for communities, particularly because they are often places where there isn't a lot of green space where there might be, as we talk about food deserts, there might be park deserts. Uh, so I am I am very supportive of the community gardens um, and ensuring that they, they are part of the overall fabric of the city. Specific integration of agri- agriculture and school curricula, is that something your administration would be interested in? Is that something you have specific plans for um, beyond, you know, I know you've spoken about community gardens and NYCHA, but generally uh, working with, um, uh, you know, school districts or specific schools on on agriculture. Is agriculture important education? Is that, is that something you have thoughts on? I, I think actually the environment is important to education and agriculture is important to education. Uh, just for the basic fact that kids should know where their food comes from uh, and what is healthy for them. And you know they they actually get very absorbed in growing stuff. Uh, so I was on a green roof today uh, that is not an urban farm, but where they talk a lot about um, what is happening within uh, this environment. And I also happen to believe that if you grow it, grow it, you are much more willing to eat it. Um, and it, that introduces kids to um, ensuring that that there is real opportunity to experience something they might not have tried, uh, whether or not that's lettuce leaves or, um, I don't know, beets. <laughs> yeah, that that uh, that this has to be actually part of the curriculum, and you know, it it it, it encompasses so many things. It's not only about food but it's about botany and energy efficiency and environmental stewardship. Uh, But beyond even the green roof concept is also to ensure that our schoolyards are no longer blacktop, that we are creating spaces there that are green and healthier and more livable. uh, And that can be teaching kids uh, about agriculture and about how, how it works. Cause it, it is, it is also, you know, basic biology. Um, and I, I've yet to find a teacher that didn't make some little kid take a lima bean and grow a bean plant. So, uh, it's got to all be part of that. 
Got it. Um, yeah, well, I think that that leads into another question, which is, what are your thoughts on the role of green space and specifically urban agriculture in terms of climate resilience and overall the city's commitment um, toward climate neutrality? Uh, and, you know, really specifically, I'm thinking about a kind of municipal Green New Deal. Um, do you have some thoughts on, you know, how, how you'd help the city prepare for the upcoming impacts, the disruptions of climate change um, and how agriculture could play a role? It, it is it is absolutely integral into how I see the future of New York City. Uh, we know that natural systems are far more efficient than anything else we try and put in place uh, to protect us from the impacts of climate change, but also to ensure that we're resilient. Uh, if we have food here, then we have also eliminated all the transportation costs to getting it from somewhere else. Uh, and that is impacting our air. Uh, 90% of our food comes in on long haul trucks. As much as we can make it so that it is grown in New York City, it is better for the environment and it is better for our bodies and uh, it is healthier all around. And in all honesty, it will be cheaper to not have to pay that transportation cost and therefore it will be more accessible uh, to families. So for that to be true, we'd be talking about a significant percentage of the the fruits and vegetables, the fresh produce um, consumed in the city, which is is quite a lot. So that that's a fairly ambitious goal to to really make a, a difference there, which is great, and I, I laud it. But just to clarify, um, that would require you know some substantial backing uh, to grow enough food locally and, and and just outside the city, right? Yeah, no, it it, it and we do have the challenge of seasonality, uh, but if we can make a dent. We don't have to get to 100%. If we can make a dent, we're not obviously going to grow bananas or mangoes in the city of New York, or that would be very limited uh, greenhouse activity. But when you're when you're thinking about this, just because you can't do 100% doesn't mean you shouldn't be trying to get as far as you can. Uh, it also is the fastest way to get food to some places where we know are not accessing fresh fruits and vegetables, uh, that farms can really be a part of that. Um, but we also, I mean, I do believe that we should be relying more regionally on our local farms as well, uh, that there should be a relationship where, you know, they grow, we buy, um, and that we're all supporting each other. And it also makes us more resilient against things like pandemics, where you don't want to have to worry that somewhere, somewhere far, far away might actually be sick. And then you're not going to get the food you expect. Right. That actually leads me to think something a little different than what I was going to ask, which is just that, um, for example, seasonal variants, you know, with the the shortages we faced last spring, which were more or less unprecedented due to COVID-19, do you think New Yorkers are more prepared to accept some changes um, potentially due to climate or, or, yeah, other unknown unknowns, you know, another pandemic? I hope that never happens. But um, And do you think uh, that you'd be in a position to help guide the city in terms of of food and and ag resilience specifically? Um, But that also, yeah, like culturally people would be willing to sort of um, chip in? Or do you have thoughts on sort of the culture of, of people's expectations? Or do you think that everyone at the end of the day wants to go back to sort of the pre-COVID world and all food is available at all times, regardless of, of where it came from, essentially, and the, the transportation cost or the seasonality involved? I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts on how COVID has impacted that. I want to unpack that a little bit because uh, they're different pieces. One of the things we saw at the very beginning of COVID when we were confronted by shortages, which were literally because we were panic buying, 
What we decided to panic buy, though, was shelf-stable, high-calorie food. Uh, we bought beans, we bought flour, we bought bread, uh, we bought things that were frozen, um, we bought things that were dried. We were looking for calorie density uh, over nutrient density in many cases, beyond the issue of toilet paper, which I still do not understand. Um, so I want to make sure that when we're thinking about uh, the future, because there was actually always fresh fruits and vegetables available during the entire pandemic. It was shelf stable that we did not have, um, which is sort of the opposite of where I'm hoping the city goes and wanting to promote that folks eat more fresh fruits and local vegetables and uh, are willing to accept some seasonality. Though it is very hard. I had a a now very old, but was very young child who had a particular love for strawberries. Um, strawberries in December are extraordinarily expensive. Uh, and we did have a little meltdown when I said I would not buy the strawberries that cost a dollar a strawberry uh, in the grocery store. It was one of it was one of the few times where I was like, oh wow, we're going full out. Um, but you know, I I think that. It's, it's challenging because I want to make sure that we are balancing that need for uh, more regional with the fact that I really want to make sure that we are also promoting that people are eating more fruits and vegetables and not sort of preparing for winter and only ever having apples available to them, which in New York State, you can get an apple basically any time of year. No, that's great. That's a great answer. And really, um, yeah, I definitely was was thinking analogically, you know, the shortages of the the perceived shortages of toilet paper. Um, and you're right, there wasn't a, a shortage of fresh produce, and that's an important point. Um, and that that leads uh, really expensive strawberries leads to you know the the topic I've spent the most time thinking about uh, recently, which is essentially growing food indoors. Um, and so now you can get really really expensive strawberries in New York. You can get uh, oishi berries that are you know several dollars per berry. Um, all year round because they're they're grown in, in very highly controlled facilities. And the idea of some of these companies is to expand them. Um, and, and the companies are getting very large sums of money to build, you know, plant factories to grow uh, lots and lots of berries. Uh, so that, that sort of leads me to ask, you know, how would your administration work with uh, the growing vertical farm sector here in New York City uh, and just across the river in New Jersey? Um, and for example, you know, they've they've called for that urban agriculture plan. They've asked for sort of new zoning laws to make it easier to open a farm. Um, and just in general, uh, you know, how do you perceive the role of technology in uh, this future where there's a, there's greener infrastructure, more parks, and more, uh, to your point, you know, local food? Yeah, no. So I'm absolutely happy to support vertic the vertical farm sector. I mean, I want to make sure we are protecting our manufacturing zones. There's very few places where uh, we are talking about not white collar jobs at this point in time. And People still need those. Uh, but, you know, when I when I think about how we're going to integrate all of this, it is being really open to what new technology also can help us with. Um, whether or not when you're in a vertical farm, you're managing humidity and you know watering and all of that is managed by the computer. But uh, even what people want, like really thinking about what people want so that we were talking before about the app that's being used by food pantries called Plentiful, uh, 
where it's almost an Instacart for people at the food pantry. So they're not taking home things they won't eat. Uh, and that we have a much more information about what people want uh, and what they are able uh, to obtain. So it isn't just about calories, it's about fresh fruits, but it also is about uh, you know what is appropriate for your culture or your religion. And I definitely learned during COVID that it is incredibly important to people what their food is. And it is not only about calories, it is also incredibly emotional. So it's about calories and health and their culture. That's great. Yeah. I think the highlighting the role um, of, for example, post-harvest or logistics software um, is is something that a lot of companies and in New York are working on. Um, and yeah, plays could play a role with food pantries, could play a role with commercial growers, um, both out, outside the city and in the city, uh, indoor and outdoor. So yeah, I think I think um, looking at, at some aspects of technology and through that lens of uh, how can they get food to where it needs to be, how can you get a f- appropriate food moved um, efficiently? I mean, uh, that, that's a good way to think about it. Um, I do wonder about that question about jobs and yeah, the the green infrastructure uh, creating jobs um, that is sort of at the heart of legislation that's been called, you know, the Green New Deal. And I'm just wondering if you have, have thoughts on that specifically, the idea of sort of packages of legislation and working, um, of course, it'd have to be across scale. So this the the scale of the state and, and of course, the federal government as well. But what here in New York can we do um, to help both create green infrastructure, but also create jobs um, all with an eye on sort of repairing the environment, you know, having more environmental resilience? Um, and again, I'm sure you, you've touched on this, but I'm, I'm curious about specifically kind of Green New Deal policies and, and how ag fits in. And so what I rolled out today on the green futures and the 150 million square feet of new green infrastructure, including urban farms, the estimate is that it will be over 10,000 jobs uh, just for that particular piece of it. And this is where our economic development and our environmental policy has to match up with our workforce development policy uh, so that when we are talking about our economic development, our environmental policy, we're not forgetting that we want to have the people who can do the work. And that may, may take us longer. Uh, you know, if you think about solar panels, well, maybe the kid in junior high school, we need to start talking to them about, we need you to be an electrician in the future, or we need you to be a designer of these types of systems. Like you want to be an architect. These are the types of buildings we're looking for. Please make sure you know how to build them. Uh, and we're not intentional about that through our CUNY system or through our trade schools. Cause I want folks who grow up here to get those, that employment here uh, and that they have real opportunities. I will tell you that I think some of the jobs aren't so different than other jobs that we've had in past economies. It's basically sometimes the same skills, but kids are much more excited if you tell them you're giving them a green job. Not kids, young young adults, kids in my mind. Um, uh, if you talk about it as a green job and future, they are so invested in what they can do to be part of the change that turns the dial on climate change. Like they are, I would say much more when I am talking to voters, uh, really wanting to do something meaningful in this area and, and are worried that we've screwed up the planet and they're going to have to fix it. Um, or that they're definitely going to fix it, but they'll let it put up with us. Um, 
So it is, it is, it is something that is, it promotes these careers in a way that uh, you might not have thought of. Um, I, I do have one question um, just about um, with the, with the sense of indoor agriculture and um, I got really interested when you're mentioning the idea of keeping our uh, manufacturing areas because a lot of our manufacturing um, has left the city, how to kind of either bring bring that back or keep the manufacturing that's still here. Um, but also in the sense of indoor agriculture, have you thought about the idea of like zoning laws, especially with indoor agriculture um, especially through the pandemic, if there are a lot of um, open office buildings now and things like that because, um, you know, from the pandemic and, and, and things. But just if, if um, you know, you've thought about zoning laws in general, changing zoning laws um, when it comes to land access or um, especially when it comes to like indoor agriculture or outdoor agriculture. Yeah, and so when I look at some of, when I think about how do you bring manufacturing back, one of the superstars in the city right now is the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Um, and they have really been able to do a lot of maker spaces. Uh, you know, they have artists who build sculptures that spin and light up. And, uh, you know, they have a lot of different, I mean, and we're able to turn on a dime and make face masks and, uh, help us during COVID. Uh, that is what I think about is, is what are we going to be able to attract back to New York City? And it's a lot of these maker spaces uh, in in our old industrial sectors. Yeah. And I think, uh, I do think following on that, there might be more spaces given um, the changing nature of, of the situated um, fact of employment. You know, do you go to an office or not? Um, and, you know, are there spaces that could be used for growing food? I think that's a, that's an interesting que- question to keep in mind, whether or not it's something the mayor's office can sort of speak to, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure, but I think it raises a good point about the, the long-term effect of COVID and how that might um, make affordances for, for more green uh, in the city. Um, yeah. So I think if we, if we're, I think we're, we're good with questions. So um, yeah, thank you so much, Catherine Garcia, uh, mayoral candidate for joining us today on Fields. Uh, and, and bearing with us. <laughs> and uh, we're very excited to follow your green infrastructure plan as uh, more details develop and to hear uh, more about you and your campaign. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate uh, the time and, and that you had you know very thoughtful answers to, to so many different topics here. Um, can you just tell us what is the best way people can connect with you and your campaign? If they have questions, where should they address those? Uh, so absolutely. So you can go to our website, kg4nyc.com and that's kgfornyc.com uh as i say the word not the number uh and there we have all of our policies on the website and of course i always encourage people if they'd like to volunteer uh, as we race towards the finish line i'd be thrilled to have them okay great um and yeah uh if we had one last question i think mine would just be uh what's your favorite vegetable Oh, I think carrots. Uh, I know that's boring, but so I have I have one child that was like only carrots, broccoli, and then one child that was like basically will eat anything. So I ended up in the carrot broccoli, but I can literally live on basically carrots and hummus. Um, you know, if I could have nothing else, that would be okay. That's very healthy. That's very different than I, you know. Uh, yeah. 
French fries or something. So uh, uh, that's that's great. Uh, well, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, we were just really appreciate you making the time. And it's been great. I, I learned a lot. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Fields theme music is by Sam Tyndall. Our amazing producing engineer at Heritage Radio is Liam Warner. Fields is powered by Symbolcast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.